welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And our topic today is self-talk. Self-talk is one of the most basic aspects of the sports psychology world. It's something we talk about often with tennis players. Um, but if you think about your own self-talk, you may not even be aware of its nature. Uh, it's, it's so basic that many of us don't even think about the sort of the content or the tone of the self-talk that we have, yet it is so, so important. It's one of the first things that sports psych professionals like Josh and I talk to players about, we ask about, we may even have assessments about the nature of your self-talk. And so we thought today would be a good day to discuss what is self-talk, um, different ways of looking at it, and then giving all of you some thoughts on interventions or strategies to improve self-talk over time. Um, one of the reasons I think it's important, Josh, is that it, it has an effect, whether positive, negative, productive, destructive, over things like your focus, your confidence, your self-image, your mental toughness in general, uh, your competitiveness, certainly during a match, can be driven by, by your self-talk. Um, and I think if we broadly, dis just for now, I think we'll, we'll hone this down as we go along. But if we broadly define self-talk, it's really that inner dialogue. It's that you know, statements or phrases that we say to ourselves. Um, and we, we're doing this all day long. And it's very difficult to have a completely clear and blank mind. Um, and sometimes we're more calm. Other times we've got a lot of chatter going on and, and how a tennis player manages that, not only during practice in play, but also off the court at other times is, is really an important factor in their mental toughness and competitiveness and all those other factors that I named. Um, so just wanted to get your opening thoughts on, on self-talk and, and how important you think it is. Yeah, it, it, it's, I would agree that it's a, it's a critical component of mental toughness. Um, we're talking to ourselves all day, um, and most people rely on sort of these default states of self-talk, which tend to be um, full, you know, rather critical. There's self-doubt. There's comparisons. There's, you know, a mistake takes place, and rather than seeing it objectively, you know, taking ownership over it or identifying with that. So I think without um, thinking about self-talk specifically or addressing it and coming up with specific solutions, people tend to fall back on their sort of default states, which tend to, you know, hold people back specifically in a sport like tennis, where we've talked about is a it's it's one of the reasons why it's so challenging is that um, it's you know it's a sport of instant feedback where after every point you're receive you're you're getting that feedback of you know whether you lost or you won that point and without you know with most people without you know training in this way without necessarily thinking about their self-talk they ride that emotional roller coaster where you win a point and you're so excited okay that was an awesome point um, and then you lose the next one and you're beating yourself up or you're criticizing yourself or my backhand is horrible or I can't serve or catastrophizing it that way. So being able to, I think, you know, and, and we, we're going to talk about a few different approaches here, but being aware of what your current self-talk looks like is, is certainly an important step and starting to lay that out and be specific about that. Um, and then, you know, I think we'll, we'll talk about a few different ways to best approach self-talk and what are some solutions to starting to move in a positive direction and use, use self-talk and use the way that you're communicating with yourself as something that really drives your performance rather than holds you back. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, perhaps the next thing we can talk about is some ways of uh, categorizing self-talk so that uh, I think everybody understands you know how, how you can look at it and, and begin to understand your own self-talk so and some of this will 
there have been a number of um, research studies on on self talk. There have been a number of ways of categorizing it and then trying to tackle it from those different categories. Uh, we we did do an interview with uh, Dr. Judy Van Ralt some time ago. She's a, an expert on self talk, um, and so that would be a useful episode to listen to as well. Um, but we'll be getting into a little bit more uh, this topic broadly here today. So when I think of self-talk, these are some of the different dimensions that I, I think about. There's rational self-talk versus irrational self-talk. And there have been a number of studies that show how being more rational in the moment can actually be a performance enhancer. Um, There's a guy named Martin Turner who was uh, in the UK and he's done studies on, on this type of thing and um, has had a lot of success training people to be more rational about how they look at certain things and then they, they end up performing better. I think sort of the classic dimension that most of us think about a positive versus negative self-talk and you brought up Josh the the idea of the critical voice and that is where a lot of us kind of default to. Um, tennis players seem to be perfectionists for whatever reason or there are a lot of perfectionists in the sport of tennis. That can make it challenging because tennis will not be perfect. You will not win every point. You will make mistakes. So that in itself is a challenging thing to deal with. Um, then there's automatic self-talk or automatic thoughts versus a slower process of maybe more deliberate. And we'll get a little bit more into that as well, distinguishing between your thoughts and your intentional self-talk. So that's another dimension. And then we also have something called functional self-talk, which I think is is a more on the what we want to be doing, and there tend to be two categories there. there are mo- there's motivational self-talk, helping our confidence, helping our intensity, come on, let's go, versus instructional self-talk, which might you might think of as your coaching voice. You mentioned the fact that most of us do not have coaches on the court, but you do have a coach in your head, and that coach will generally use instructional self-talk. Uh, move your feet, hit high and heavy. So it could be tactical or it could be just basic skills, etc. Um, so I think beginning to think about these dimensions, and, and they really all apply, I think, Josh, in, in some ways. Positive and negative could also be looked at as rational and, and ir- irrational, but there, there are some things with positive that they don't have to be rational. It could be more on the motivational side and so forth, right? Um, positive and negative, I think you could also re- um, reframe as productive and destructive, more productive and non-productive in some ways. Um, so I think these dimensions are interesting and may also, as we go, go along here, help people understand, uh, what, am I, what am I experiencing on some of these dimensions? How, what, what does my self-talk look like? How, how might I categorize it um, you know, in, in terms of what we just mentioned? Yeah, I, I I like how you laid that out. I think that's that's really important for people to to know these so some of these different dimensions. And I think specifically the uh, you know when we think about that functional self talk and where we want to be, understanding that it's that com that that combination of motivational and instructional is really important because you really need both. Ideally, there will be moments. Um, on court, whether it be when you're training or even while you're competing, where you know you're you need to give yourself a certain instruction. Maybe it's a something about your technique. Maybe it's something you know more strategic and in terms of you know the, the patterns that you're trying to employ. Um, or at a certain moment in a match, maybe you really need that motivation. Maybe it's you know break point and you need to remind yourself, you know, like come on, like let's go, like you know, focus in here. Um, or your low energy, you know, we've talked about energy levels in other episodes, but that might be a specific moment where you need to pump yourself up and use the type of motivational self-talk that's, um, that, that we're referring, referring to here. So, um, you know, I, th- I think it's as people listen to this episode, as, as you examine your own self-talk, um, thinking about, you know, what are the types of self-talk that are ultimately going to be most productive and helpful out there. And I think that could, I think breaking it down into those two categories or those two types of motivational and instructional is a good way for people to, to start to look at that. 
Think about what Rafael Nadal must have been saying to himself in that Australian Open final, that other match he played against Sebastian Corda at Indian Wells, to be able to come back when, you know, in, in some ways it appeared that those matches may have been over. Yet he had to have said something to himself that helped him to keep fighting and fighting. Uh, certainly a long career of, of being that way uh, is helpful, but you know, no one is really that way by default. There's training that goes into that. There's training that goes into helping you develop that really good internal dialogue. Um, we did also do an episode with uh, Dr. Laura Swetnam about Think Aloud as a way of also understanding your self-talk and recording yourself and and so forth. So that that also we don't we're, we're not going to talk so much about that today, but that would be a good way to start to break down the content of what you're thinking and saying, and it may also be be surprising. Um, but I agree, motivational instructional is really important, especially when we get down to being intentional with our our self talk um, and making both of these around things that we can control. As, as, as a strategy, right? Um, but I think, you know, a good first step for people is how do I, you know, understand what I'm saying to myself? How do I understand the impact of that? And a good first step is simply coming up with a self-talk log. What are, you know, what are some things that you say before you play a match or a practice, during, after? Um, and, you know, those are different things. You know, how do I, how do I set myself up for whatever's going to happen today? You know, it could be positive, negative. Oh, I'm going to lose this match or I suck or, you know, what are you saying during? And then even after the match, how do you explain it to yourself? What are those types of things? Um, you know, what am I saying, you know, I guess after I perform poorly? What am I saying after I perform well? Um, what do I do if I'm on a team and, you know, maybe one of my teammates performs well or doesn't perform well? Right? This is a sport of comparison. You know, if I lost my match and my teammate won her match, you know, how am I processing that? What are my thoughts there? Um, am I thinking a lot about what other people are thinking about me? That's where a lot of thoughts end up going to. It's been a lot of anxiety and lack of confidence is often based on the thoughts of other people's evaluations of us. And so what you can do is simply take a notebook and start to write down some of the things that trigger self-talk with you. You could look at it more time-based, before, during, and after. Or you could say, you know, when this type of thing comes up, I tend to say this. When I make a mistake, I tend to go this way with it. And it just really begins to help you understand what's, what's really happening. And that would be useful for working with somebody like, me or Josh to understand what you what it is you're you're saying. Uh, certainly, think aloud and recording yourself. Although that takes some training and practice and so forth, but um, one of the reasons that think aloud is effective is we often forget all a lot of the things that we say. Right? It, there's a memory decrement between when you actually say something and then a couple hours later when you're trying to record what it is that you said. Some of us may be better at that. Than others, um, but I think it's at least a good way to understand your self-talk. And and as you're looking at this log, begin to think about this: the impact of some of these statements on, again, those things like focus, confidence, self-image, competitiveness, etc. Yeah, I think I, I think what you're touching on is you know it, it leads to awareness, being able to write down your self-talk, being able to maybe record yourself or say it out loud, like the, um, you know, think aloud protocol that we've discussed. Um, you know, it, it, it leads to an athlete being more aware of the way that they're talking to themselves, where if they're constantly in that default state and never really examine it, it's, it's tough to sort of gain that clarity and, and understanding and awareness of, 
what's going on and, and the impact that it has. Um, so I think that that first step really is awareness and sort of laying it out there and then, and then having that conversation, really trying to understand what is the impact when I tell myself I suck or when I tell myself my backhand is horrible or, you know, I can't serve or, or any of these sorts of things. What does that do? How do, after I say that to myself, how do, how does that generally impact the next point? How does that generally impact my confidence levels? How does that, do I feel, you know, focused and ready for that next point? Or am I, you know, lost in thought, not thinking about my strategy and my game plan going into that next point because of the way that I'm talking to myself. So being, you know, I think it starts with being aware of your current self self-talk and then starting to lay out, you know, what are some of the consequence of consequences of it and, you know, thinking about some of the, the specific phrases that you use. And again, they're, you know, one of the challenges here is yes, there might be certain things that you say out loud, but much of it, it takes place inside your head. So, you know, it, you're re- we're relying on the individual's memory. Um, and especially if it's been, you know, a few hours or the next day or a couple of days, it could be tough to sort of think back and recall exactly what was said. Um, so that's, you know, that that's one, one reason why the Think Aloud protocol is helpful because it, it helps people gain awareness through really saying it out loud in the moment. Um, but, you know, for most people, I think you, you do have to rely on, on memory to a certain extent and, you know, you can start to keep, keep a self, a self-talk blog um, and think about, you know, what are those things that you're saying to yourself on the practice court, you know, through the ups and downs of, of competition and training, what are those things that you say to yourself during matches, especially during some of the key moments, maybe you're, down a break, maybe you just lost a set. What does that look like? And then, you know, starting to think about what would be a better way to talk to yourself in that moment, but starting to lay it out there and, and write some of these things down and, and track it can make a big impact. And I think that's um, you know, one of the first exercises that I will do with somebody is exactly what you're talking about. Josh, you know, when if they if we've identified self-talk as being somewhat problematic for their mental toughness and all those other dimensions, we'll try to understand okay what triggers this. And if you keep a self-talk log, we'll be able to know that, you know. Um, and then let's look at everything that you're saying, and and as you stated, what are the consequences of those things, and. Um, yeah, they have consequences on a diff- number of dimensions. Could be your focus, your motivation, your confidence, etc. Um, but I think it's also then good to look at the actual content of what is being said. Is it actually even true? Are we, you know, overblowing this, catastrophizing this situation? Are we using language like "I have to," like, or "You, I need to be better." Or I should win. You know things that may not be true. They may not be rational, and and help the player understand, and and perhaps even come up with their own countering arguments about why what they're saying doesn't make any sense. Right. It certainly doesn't help in the in the moment. Um, I'll often ask players. You know, try to guess how many studies show that critical negative self-talk is a performance enhancer. You know, it's zero. And yet we all seem to default to that. And then common rationale for it is, well, I need to motivate myself. I need to be tough on myself, et cetera. Um, But an easy way around that would be, okay, you're playing doubles. Would you ever say to your partner, some of the things that you say to yourself? And almost always the answer is no, because that wouldn't be very nice. It wouldn't help my partner. Would you allow your partner to talk to you the way you talk to yourself? No, I probably wouldn't allow that either. Yet somehow you have deemed it okay to speak to yourself that way. Um, And people get that. They understand that. It doesn't necessarily cure it right away, but it does give them pause about Okay, why am I? Why do I think this critical voice is is necessary? 
we actually know that the opposite is true. Self-compassion, kindness, because you need a friend out there. Like we said, Josh, you, there's no coach generally. You need somebody who's on your side out there. And if your own mind is not on your side, you're in some trouble. So you need somebody out there. And, and um, there's a, a researcher at the University of Texas named Kristen Neff. She studies self-compassion and has shown that people who are kinder, more compassionate with themselves actually take more responsibility for their mistakes. They're actually able to forgive themselves for that and move on where the critical person can't let it go and, and therefore doesn't really fix it, just, become, just tends to ruminate over that mistake, that loss, etc. Um, and so that process we were just describing is really a classic cognitive behavioral therapy technique or rational emotive behavioral therapy technique that helps us reframe what we're thinking, what we're saying. So going from some statement that may not be true or irrational, simply unhelpful, to coming up with something that would be more productive in that moment, right? And a lot of that self-talk is, is more automatic. It's, it's harder to control. And we'll talk about long-term strategies for dealing with that. But if we can then follow that thought up with a more rational, productive thought, that's maybe the slow part of our brain, the more um, analytical part of our brain, then we, still, then we have a chance to still perform well on the next point, the next game. It's when the sort of irrational, unproductive thought or self-talk goes unchecked and it, that becomes the dominant, that's when we, we really run into some problems during a match. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think a lot of people fall into that, that critical um, frame of mind in terms of their self-talk. I was having a conversation recently with a baseball player um, and, you know, the, the fact that baseball, first of all, is, a sport is a sport of error is a sport of mistakes and a sport of failure where you can, you know, you, if you have three hits out of 10, you're, you're doing quite well. You can have a great career. Um, but what that means is for a batter, you can expect to, um, you know, to, to not be successful seven out of 10 times at least. Um, so, you know, and, and the, with this conversation, he was saying that, you know, he might have, he might go two out of three or three out of four in a given day uh, at the plate. But where does the focus go? The focus goes to the mistake because it's almost an expectation of success every time he's out there where, you know, you, you hit a double or, okay, I, you know, it, it, it's a nice, uh, whatever, nice line drive. And you get on base and that's expected and you don't even necessarily think of that. But where does your mind focus on after the game to the strikeout or to the pop out? And I think it's the same with tennis players where when things are going well, it's almost like oftentimes people fall into this trap where it's almost, okay, that's expected. That's the way it should be rather than giving themselves credit and being positive during those moments. But then when things aren't going well, that's when they start to catastrophize. That's when it it can feel like it will always be this way. Like, um, you know, like things will, will, will never change. So, you know, I, I think starting to catch yourself in those moments, first of all, giving yourself credit when things are going well and being um, positive and recognizing it in the moment. But, um, you know, I, I, as it relates to the criticism, you know, keeping things in perspective certainly goes a long way. Um, so just, just wanted to add that in as well. I think you're right. I think we do tend to look at those mistakes. We tend to look at the successes as that's what it's supposed to be rather than and, – and so what ends up happening there is you develop a self-image around mistakes. You identify more with failure than, than success. This is something that uh, Lenny Basham in his book With Winning in Mind talks about how we need to uh, study our good shots. We need to study our success. Success leaves clues. We yep. want to repeat success more rather than avoiding failure. So if we know if that batter, as you said, went three for four, now there are a lot of variables that go into you know, hitting in baseball, right? But are, are there some things that we could look at in those three hits that 
now we can replicate a little bit more, a little bit more. The, the, the clues, the success, that's where, it, that's where it lies. And so the more that we look at those successes and understanding, yeah, that's me. That's what I want to be. We use self-talk in those moments to reinforce our self-image rather than using self-talk in a critical way on the failure piece to, to build your self-image. As you noted in baseball, three out of 10, 30%, right? Batting 300 is good. So um, we're going to fail a lot. We don't want to identify with that. We want to understand the reality of the game. The reality of the game is batting 300 is excellent. So let's look at how I'm getting to 300, not how I'm not getting higher than that, right? So I think the success piece is, is really important. And knowing that the way you talk to yourself does build a self-image, whether that's a great competitor, winner, or on the opposite side, I always lose. You know, it's 5-2, it's I always blow this lead. Start to, you know, create some self-fulfilling prophecies that we don't want to have based on based on your self-talk so and, and your self-image. So it's really important, I think, that when we're thinking about performance, that we're studying the good stuff and using our self-talk intentionally to, to build a positive self-image because that's who we want to be. We all want to be great competitors. We all want to be great closers in matches. I want to be super focused and confident in tiebreakers. I want to be clutch. Your self-talk is so important to helping you develop those aspects of your self-image. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, through our experiences in these situations, in a tiebreaker, in a, in a clutch situation, how do you handle it? And how can you you know, reflect on those performances that you've had in order to, you know, to improve your self-image, first of all, and not just focus on those, those negative aspects of what happened, but remember it, you know, sort of as a whole, be more rational about how you reflect in it and, you know, not just focusing on the negative aspects and try to learn and improve from it and think about, okay, next time I'm in that situation, how would I want to be talking to myself? What are some specific things I would want to say to myself when it's five all on the tiebreaker? And I know that this next point is, you know, could, could potentially swing things one way or the other. Um, what do I need to say? You know, in, in tennis, we have generally 20 seconds, maybe 25 seconds in between points. How can I best use that time and communicate with myself in a way that I'm setting myself up best going into that next point? Being able to put whatever just happened behind me, not hold on to it, go into that next point with confidence and also with a plan. Also, you know, feeling prepared and knowing how I want to try to set up that next point. What is my intention going into the next point? Um, so I think that I think that's really important whenever whenever a player is playing, but especially in those clutch moments, especially when the match is on the line, it it often is the the difference maker between players i my i maybe i've mentioned this or or, or haven't but my, my business is tiebreaker psych and the reason why it's sort of a double meaning in that yes you know part of it is okay we want to be playing our best during a tiebreaker during a a big moment of fourth quarter or whatever it may be um but also that this is the mental game is often the tiebreaker between competitors it, it can be um, you know, sort of the, the difference maker there and how you talk to yourself is a big piece of that. Um, so being intentional, learning from our performances, learning from those situations where maybe we don't talk to ourselves so well, where on a given day, maybe we're, you know, things aren't going so well for us. Maybe we're playing less consistently than we'd like. Maybe our, we're playing aggressively, but our shots just aren't as effective. They're not penetrating the court like we'd like to. And we notice that we're in a very critical frame of mind. How can we learn from those experiences, knowing that we'll have a lot more matches in the future? How can we learn from those experiences so the next time we're in the same situation? And we will be. There will be other clutch moments, other tiebreakers, other third sets. Um, how can we learn from that so that the next time around you can, I think, take, you know, rather than just reacting and going back to that, um, 
sort of default state, how can you slow things down a little bit? Um, I think that's that's going to be a, a key here because if if we acknowledge that for most of us that default state is more on the negative critical side, um, what sorts of methods do you have to slow things down to go from that point of being more automatic with our self-talk to being more thoughtful and coming up with more of a response than a reaction. And I think the breath has a big role here where, you know, rather than playing the point and going straight to judgment, being able to take a breath and take a moment to reflect on it and, you know, choose a response that you've planned out rather than simply going to your reaction and whatever sort of pops into your mind first into you know based on how you're feeling in that moment planning you know choosing that planned out reaction i mean we there are certainly different approaches here um one approach is is scripting out that reaction and script sorry scripting out that response um and and really coming up with a script for how you want to talk to yourself in that moment after a mistake let's just say you can certainly script that out and what are the key things that you want to say to yourself after a mistake or going into a really critical point. Maybe it's a tiebreaker. Maybe it's a deuce point. Maybe it's you know break point against you or a second serve or whatever it may be. But starting to script that out, starting to plan that out so that you have that resource and that tool to fall back on, to refer to, rather than you know falling into these traps of our of our default states. I think one thing you're getting at, Josh, here now is. Um, sort of differentiating between our thoughts and our intentional self-talk. And I think that's, this is a really important distinction if we want to be improving how we speak to ourselves and be more productive on the court. Um, There's a a technique, acceptance, commitment, therapy. It's a good strategy for thinking about it, thinking about your thoughts and thinking about your self-talk in different ways. Um, and it's to understand that thoughts are just thoughts. They're not facts. And the more that we just accept that this is what our brains do, they're almost like involuntary thought generators. None of us can really control what we think. I mean, just try to sit quietly for five minutes and lots of thoughts that you could not have predicted will come through. But what can we control is how we choose to respond to that. Uh, and too many of us, I think, listen to those thoughts as if they're facts, as if um, maybe uh, it will come true or, or whatever. Um, but the more that we understand that they're just thoughts, our brain just does these things, we don't have to listen to them. And in, in effect, we could just say, you know, this is a classic sort of exercise with with acceptance commitment is thank you. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate the input. Um, and then connect with what do I really want to achieve today? Connect with your goals, connect with your values. And some of that scripted self-talk that you're talking about, Josh, should be in line with your goals and values as a competitor. But the more that you're able to just accept and push that thought away, you diffuse its power. It doesn't have a hold over you anymore. It doesn't have to become part of your self-image. And now you can move on to what it is you, you really want to do. We all have these thoughts. The goal is to not let them have so much power over us and realize that they're just thoughts. They're not, they're not facts. They're not real necessarily. Um, now let's get back to what it is that we want by connecting with what your goals are for the day or for your career what your values are as a competitor, you connect with that, have your self-talk script, whether that be situational or it could even just be general. could be, all right, today, my script is always going to be breathe, watch the ball, reset. And when I notice some, some erroneous thoughts, okay, that's what I come back to. Just breathe, watch the ball, reset. And you know, the more that you say that, it's starting to perhaps help you block out some of those automatic thoughts, but the automatic thoughts will creep in. And when they do, you try to recognize it, let it go, and then come back to your script of the, the basic elements. I'm, I'm using those three things as 
my basics that I will often use, but everybody's different. You can come up with something else. It could be more about your, your footwork, active feet, um, follow through. Doesn't always should probably shouldn't be so much technical, but um, that's what you know. Dan Abrahams talks about in his book Soccer Tough, um, distinguishing between um, listening to yourself less, talking to yourself more. Right. So what are we listening to less? Those thoughts. But we're talking to ourselves more with intentional things, things we can control, things we want to be thinking, things that are in alignment with our goals and our values. That's probably what now Rafael Nadal is doing between points when he's down. He's He wants to win. And part of his values as a player is, is being a great fighter, being a great competitor. So he aligns his, his thoughts and his self-talk with that, and then it helps him to keep to keep going. Um, so I think this is a really interesting way for people to to look at their thoughts a little bit differently and then bring it back to some intentional ways of how do I actually want to be? How do I want to perform? Um, you know, how am I building my self-image about what I do on the court? Definitely. And we have the, the nice thing about this is that since, as we mentioned, we're, we're constantly talking to ourselves. We have countless chances to practice this. We, it's yes, you know, some of the maybe most impactful moments where the, the consequences of, of our thoughts are going to be most, um, you know, most obvious might be, you know, on the court in a key moment. But when can we practice this? We can practice this anytime we're on the court. We can practice this off the court as well, how noticing how we respond to different situations you know, catching ourselves in that response and, you know, maybe thinking about what, how do we, how do we want to, you know, what's, what is that ideal response or how can we commit to a certain type of action in that moment? Um, you know, I think as it relates to those ACT, um, those ACT techniques, um, it's, you know, it's really, you know, accepting that, that these thoughts do come up um, and, you know, not, just ignoring them, not pretending that they're not there or, or not you know, wishing them, them wishing yeah. them away, fighting them. Exactly. But let's, let's acknowledge them and then let's commit to, um, you know, how we want to respond anyways. Um, you know, not, not saying, Oh, just, just because I'm having these thoughts of self doubt or, you know, imposter syndrome or whatever it may be that I can't perform on a given day because then we're just, you know, going to be performing on those, those days where all the stars align, where we're feeling great, where our self-talk is great, where we're feeling confident, where we're feeling motivated. As a competitor, you have to be able to perform every day regardless. And, you know, I think th there will be days where you feel better physically. There will be days where maybe you feel more confident or more composed or more focused or whatever it may be. So acknowledging, you know, where you're at on that day, acknowledging those thoughts as they come, come in to your mind, um, but, but choosing that response and committing to that response ahead of time and in the moment is key in, in terms of still being able to perform at the level that, that, you, that you want to and that you're capable of. The more that you use those scripts, I think the more that you will improve the quality even of your automatic thoughts. I don't think they'll ever be perfect. But the more that you, yeah, focus on, hey, these are three things I'm just going to be saying in this situation or for a whole match, it starts to work its way in. And I do believe that there are some long-term strategies that one can employ to develop better automatic thoughts. Um, I think... Simply reading about good perspectives, and we've mentioned a bunch of these uh, on, the, on the show, but reading them repeatedly. So things like The Winner's Creed by Bill Tim, uh, Bob Bowman's 10 Golden Rules, which you can also you know, you can search and, and find that. Um, Terry Orlick's The Wheel of Excellence. You can find articles about that. And the more that you read through these things, the more they begin to influence your own personal philosophy of, of how to perform. 
your own personal philosophy of performance excellence. Um, so I'm a big believer in repetitive reading and studying of, of great perspectives, really helping to change what you were talking about, Josh, those default modes of thinking. Think of this almost uh, this type of reading and studying as a software upgrade to how we typically think. Let's begin to think in better ways, ways that promote performance excellence rather than ways that more or less get in the way. There's a lot of fear-based thinking in our default mode. There's a lot of thinking of negative consequences, what-if scenarios, generally towards negative outcomes. What if we could update that through some repetitive reading and maybe even some writing, doing some journaling, write some affirmations that you think are good for you. Read those often. I think the more that we're taking some off-court time to study better ways of thinking over time, those you're going to notice, I believe, that your automatic thoughts will become more and more productive. They'll probably become closer to some of those scripts that you've been writing. You'll always still have some of those like, oh, why'd you do that type of reactions. But I think you'll more quickly shift to the productive, functional response, motivational, instructional, etc. Getting back to what it is that you value and what it is you really want to do in that moment. I think I think that's that's great advice. Um, you know, it, catching yourself even off the court after a mistake and and noticing how do I talk myself? I mean, I you know, I think there's countless examples throughout the day, you forget something, you forget an appointment, or, um, you know, you, you make a mistake, you you drop something and it chatters, right? Do you, what do you say to yourself? Do you say, oh, I'm such an idiot. I always do this, right? Or do you, or can you think about something that, you know, might be a better way to respond? Um, but again, there are countless ways to practice this. And I really like, Brian, that you, you brought up, you know, reading, and you know, consuming um, the, the you know articles or or videos or books um, that that help to instill a better mindset. Learning more about the types of mindsets that are that are productive. Um, you know, I, I think another thing we could do is we've talked about press conferences, but watch some of the the champions of the sport and and how they reflect on their own performances and how they talk about, you know, coming back. We talked about Rafael Nadal and coming back. I think, uh, um, you know, a couple other players come to mind here in terms of, you know, on, on the women's side, um, Iga Sviantek, who I know we've, we've talked about in the past, who's, you know, becoming the top player in the world, um, you know, is a great example of, you know, watching one of her press conferences, Carlos Alcaraz, who I, I have a feeling is a player we're going to be talking about a lot in, now and in upcoming years um, is, you know, just he has had some unbelievable performances just yesterday, you know, from our, our recording, um, he came back from five, two down to Seth, Ste- Stefano Sissipas, one of the top players in the world to, you know, win the next, I think, seven games to, to bring it to go from being down two five to winning that set seven, five and going up two zero in the next set. And, you know, talking about how he was able to do that and fighting for every point and believing, right? I think part of it is being able to believe and talk to yourself in a functional way that that promotes, you know, that self-belief, that promotes confidence, even in really tough times. When you're down 2-5, your default state for just about everybody is not going to be full of confidence, it's going to be, you know, maybe frustration, maybe self-critical, you know, probably lacking the belief that you can come back and win that set or win the match. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from the champions of the sport, of tennis and, you know, beyond. Um, and I, I like that. I really like that suggestion of sort of filling your head with positive examples from from other, from coaches or from athletes, uh, because I think there's, you know, it starts to change that default setting. Yeah. And those types of responses to adverse situations are not unattainable. They may feel that way at first, but the more you engage with 
this good type of self-talk and, and maybe at first it is beginning with scripting but then over time as you read and you study and you immerse yourself in the world of you know performance excellence you begin to adopt those things and and they become really part of who you are you know one of the players i i work with um he loves using some of the mantras that we've talked about josh and he just uses them throughout like everything is practice keep expectations low and standards high um, things like that, he really adopts that um, and loves it. He listens to the winner's creed before every match, so he's he's engaging in all the things that you would want somebody to do, and it's and it's really paying off for him. And uh, these are not things that take a long time. Like it actually takes a longer time to physically practice tennis than it does to do some of this really kind of basic mental work uh, around that voice inside your head if you can really shape that voice to be one of a a great positive coach um, somebody who is a huge supporter of you your biggest fan there um, maybe even sometimes your your best friend someone who's kind and compassionate helps you achieve what you want to achieve right doesn't become a barrier to that helps you have a positive self-image I think then you have gone a long way in terms of, of crafting that that self-talk that's going to help you not only in tennis, but in, in your whole life. If you think about it, life is about performance. We're talking about one small aspect of it, right, being tennis, and we'll often discuss tennis as a microcosm of life. But everything that we've talked about, Josh, I think you could apply to any context that you're performing in. And I know one of your favorite topics is mindfulness. Mindfulness is actually a great way to practice that acceptance and then shift. Especially if you're doing a meditation in which you have some sort of mantra. Because you'll notice the, the automatic thought, the, the thought that you, know, you really weren't trying to have. But you can push it away like it's a cloud. And then you come right back to, to your mantra. So that's a great way to practice that. And the better you get at that without judgment you don't want to judge yourself negatively for having that thought you'll get better at that on the tennis court as well or off when you're you're criticizing yourself etc so i think this is such an important topic because along with body language and your breathing it has a major effect on your body chemistry on the tennis court and in order to perform well you have to feel good on the court you have to feel well and if you don't, if you're not feeling it in your body, you're not feeling right out there, yeah, your self-talk is part of that. And so breathing, body language, self-talk, they all work together to help you feel really good. And when you're not feeling great, you should probably just be working on those three things to help get yourself back into the match and, and, and playing better. Absolutely. I think that's, that's definitely something that people can you know, remember things aren't going well, let's keep it simple. Let's focus on those those key things. Your breathing, your body language, your self-talk. That will solve a lot of a lot a lot of your problems. A lot of the things that, that could potentially be going wrong. Are you are you really tense on the court? The the breathing aspect could could certainly help. You know, are you are some of the the issues that are arising due to you know your reactions after each point? That the self-talk piece is going to have a big impact there, um, and and I, I like that you, that you brought up um, you know mindfulness and, and meditation because um, you know through training through through you know starting to meditate and starting to um, you know develop some of these mindful practices in your own life, um, you start to gain awareness of the thoughts as they as they come up. So that they, they don't just, you know, they're not just impacting you and popping up and, you know, you're, you're reacting to them, but you can start to notice them and catch them. And, you know, again, we, we don't need to push them away and, you know, fight them and pretend that they're not there, but we can notice them and, and sort of examine them. And if, if you look at a thought, you, you notice that it doesn't last forever. It, it appears and at a certain point, it fades away. And I think, you know, through 
through a mindful practice such as meditation. And again, it doesn't have to be particularly time consuming. It could be 10 minutes, it could be even less, you know, certain apps like Headspace, for instance, have three and five minute meditations as well. Um, but starting to develop a practice where you're, where you're doing it consistently and getting used to it um, has a lot of impacts in terms of noticing your thoughts as they pop up, um, being comfortable with thoughts that, that emerge, not you know identifying with them, not saying, oh, okay, just because I'm feeling a certain way in this moment that that's who I am or you know I, I am anxious, I am depressed. I am sad in this moment and I am sad, but no, that's how I'm feeling in the moment. Again, just like that thought, that emotion will come and go as well. So um, no, I, I like that you brought that up. I, I think that can, can certainly, you know, play a big role here. And I think as we think about, um, you know, the, this conversation in general, it helps us be aware of some of those default states. And as we start to implement certain intentional self-talk, we can start to be aware of the impact that that has. We can, you know, through training, through training our minds and um, employing, you know, meditation and mindfulness, we can start to notice, okay, when we think in a more functional way, how do I feel that? When I sort of rely on these default states and I find that over the last 10 minutes, I've been, you know, rather self-critical, um, you know, judgmental. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe you didn't sleep as well the last night. Um, maybe something negative has happened. Maybe you have something else on your mind, but you can start to notice the impact of your thoughts on, on your emotions and on, and on yourself and, you know, start to catch yourself, start to notice that more and then, and then start to employ the intentional self-talk as sort of a remedy for that. Yeah. Self-talk is such a fundamental element in competitiveness and performance excellence, regardless of context. And so um, I think this has been a great conversation. Hope the listeners have enjoyed it. You know, thank you for, for listening. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, especially relative to, to self-talk, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram account. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.